and welcome to episode 155 of The Last Picture Show. Um, my name is Rob, and with me tonight is... Guesty. Guesty. Good moaning. Good... Oh, pissing. <laughs> I was just pissing Rene. by the window. Uh, <laughs> pissing in your mouth. <laughs> Rene. That's a different film altogether. <laughs> Although watching right. a lower low, right. they could have quite easily done yeah. yeah, the amount of Doulon yeah. Sandra and tits on show. <laughs> that's just the actors. We. I was going <laughs> That's just what's his name. <laughs> um, Rene Higita. We. He's um, it to be honest. <laughs> yeah, man, we've got a lovely. Um, Podcast lined up for you this week. Uh, you got some good stuff to talk about. You know, actually found the time to watch some interesting. You know, Oscar Oscar winning is what I watched, which is good. Um, so yeah, you know, it's been a big week in the world of film. Not really sure, but it feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously, we've had you know the Oscars. And it sort of signals the end of awards season in a way, I suppose. But, um, you know, we gave you our take on that, and it's uh, on with 2015. Um, there's been a lot of, um, well, Neil, Neil Blomkamp's had a lot of the uh, attention this week with the uh, news that he's basically doing an Alien. Uh, not really a reboot, but he's sort of carried on where Aliens, the second film, left off. On basically on the strength of some concept art <laughs> that went online, um, and then you know everyone just basically was like, "Oh, you've got to make this film, even though you haven't got a script or you know anything." And then Fox just for some reason just said, "Yeah, make it." You know, which could be a really really good thing, or it could just completely backfire. Yeah, but they've said that without the... seeing his latest film that's out. Chappy, oh Chappy, come here. Yeah, it's, it's basically short circuit, is it not? <laughs> yeah, the robot basically, yeah, put some time tracks on that robot and it would be Johnny number five. It's basically going, Johnny five is alive. It's basically about <laughs> AI, is it not? And it's like, I'm, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm I'm alive. No, you're not. You're a fucking robot. But you know what I mean? It's kind of like... Nuts and bolts. Yeah, but it's basically that. Well, it is a little bit more... You know, gritty. Yeah, it's set in South Africa. Short... <laughs> yeah, Short Circuit was sort of set in like the suburbs of San Francisco or something. But um, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, it's got it's got a bit of staff quality. It's got a Hugh Jackman in there playing some kind of mulleted, you know, um, uh, I don't know, badass or suppose. He looks like he's working for some government agency and he's gonna be tasked to take down this robot. I think it's um. You know, from watching Elysium, for my sins, I think it's the same sort of robot from that film. Right. I'm not sure if it's meant to be set in the same world, because it's obviously some kind of, again, shantytown stroke, ghetto stroke, something. So it's not Hugh Jackman, like, boxing using robots. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the, he does have experience, obviously, from real steel. Yeah. Being, you know, <laughs> one of the country's top... Virtual robot boxers, people. Oh, Jesus. Whatever it's called. Yeah. No, I mean, I like... I mean, I mean District 9 is fantastic, you know. Um, 
And, you know, Elysium, he's admitted that himself, that it was just a bit of a weak plot stroke, you know, storyline. But that's the thing, the, uh, District 9 was a, uh, like a, I don't know, something that he'd, he'd had time to think about, like like Quentin mm. Tarantino, you know, like Reservoir Dogs was his statement to the world. Yeah. District 9 was Blomkamp's statement to the world. It was kind of like, right, this is what I'm about. And he had the backing of Peter Jackson, obviously. Yeah. Everything was behind him, whereas Elysium was a big, straight into that big budget, you know, mm. high box office or supposed high box office kind of sphere. Well, I think District 9 had more of a um, more clear political message about it that, you know, he'd obviously felt strongly about you know, South Africa, obviously he was growing up in. Mm. And then Elysium was sort of saying, trying to say something about, you know, illegal immigration and I think more about America, about um, the healthcare system and all this kind of stuff. Um, which was a bit of a, you know, that message sort of got lost in between all of the, you know, uh, uh, action scenes and, you know, amazing special effects and you know, exosuits and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, Chappie is, you know, that, um, yeah, it's a tried and tested sci-fi genre, really, the, you know, AI that becomes self-aware. I mean, we've talked about it many times in, you know, many different, you know, anime and comics and, you know, feature films and whatever. But, um, you know, I'm interested in that film. I wouldn't mind seeing it. I'm not sure if I'll go out to see it. Well, I'm interested in uh, Alien. I mean... <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, it depends whether you get Cameron involved. I mean, he 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 chose to stay out of the Terminator franchise, so I would have thought that he's probably going to be <laughs> interested in in staying out of the the Alien franchise. Yeah, I mean, I think he did have some input in the newest Terminator Terminator film, not in terms of any like screenwriting or whatever, but I think they he consulted in a, in a way. But yeah, I mean, um. I'm not sure if they go in for the more, you know, gung-ho type film of aliens or more of a, you know, psychological horror that we saw in Alien. I'm not really sure too, of too much of the storyline. Well, did you see the, um, the, the article I posted on um, Twitter about xenomorphs? Uh, no, I don't think so. What they, what they what are they saying? Oh, I did. I didn't read it, though, I don't think. Yeah, well, don't if you don't want to ruin every alien film mm. that's ever... Been released. Was it? Well, it's basically just a synopsis of everything to do with the alien films, and you know, it's that <laughs> interweaving. Well, this was mentioned because of this, and this was mentioned because of that, and it basically, <laughs> it's a, it's a kind of a dissertation more than anything, and it pit, picks the right. picks the film apart basically. All right. Did they explain Prometheus at any fo- at any point? Yeah, it was an article that was um, posted by Chris Burnham. Oh, okay. Um, my favourite comic book artist. Yeah, so he, he posted it and it was... Uh, I retweeted it on our Last Picture Show page and also on mine and uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think it was cool. just on those two. But yeah, it's an article about Xenomorph and it, it's, he's, he's basically saying that uh, if you want to ruin, you know, the alien films then read this, basically. Because <laughs> it just, yeah, it's Wait. like, it kind of just picks it apart. It's more of an in-depth synopsis of the characters and all the interweaving parts of the film. Well, is it like a wiki type thing, or is it 
you'd never notice this before type of stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's the little surreptitious elements of the film. So little, oh, okay. little things that are mentioned that you, you probably don't take on board, but the reason they say it, or things that pop up in the background or, you know, just little things about... Mm. So, like, on the... Um, on the side of the aeroplane, they've basically right, they've got okay. a sign that says Bug Stomper. Oh, okay. But there's there's little bits where they mention about, is this another clearance thing where we're going in to stomp some bugs? So it suggests that they've come into contact with aliens before. Right, okay. So it's little surreptitious things. All oh, right. Okay. Things that are mentioned by Hudson's character uh, and Bill Paxton's character, and then Sigourney Weaver, Ripley, and all the little things. It's basically the interactions and the mentions of Xenomorph. But yeah, I mean, it's a proper in-depth article. It's not like a, a, a two-minute read. It's it's got you know, you got to sit down with a coffee and have a have a bit of a read of it. But it's got pictures as well linking to it. Yeah. So it's kind of like well, throwaway lines and stuff like that. That sounds um, that sounds pretty interesting, to be honest. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the films, I don't think you know when you've seen them multiple times. I've obviously, you know, been fan a fan of the genre. I'd probably quite like that. Actually, I might read up on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just literally again the power of the of social media and um, you know fan power, basically getting things made and, um, you know, forcing you know, a major studio to just greenlight a film almost overnight, it seems. Um, but, yeah, that's that's been happening. Um, what else? No, no really huge tra- trailers, to, to be honest. Um, no real, I mean, not that I can see tidbits of anything. No. But I, I mean, I was reading an article today about um, the second best Marigold Hotel. Oh, that's out at the moment. Well, it's it? in its third week. It's eclipsing everything else at the British box office. It's already made thirty million. The first release, like the first film, only made twenty. Bloody hell! Well, this one's got it is. you know, it's got uh, what's his face, Richard Gere in it, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's on all the posters, you know, his mug is on all the posters. Um, and he would do, if you had him, obviously, you know, it's uh, quite obvious, uh, you know, um, you know, good bit of marketing. Well, after, um, after Slumdog, you'd have thought Dev Patel would be front and centre, would you not? I suppose so. I mean, he's in Chappie as well, isn't he? Yes, yeah. He's, uh, you know, the programmer, as it were. But, um, I mean, that, you know... Not to denigrate that, that film will attract a certain audience. Um, the, I think, you know, that demographic is very much cinema going at the moment. There's a lot of, um, you know, when you're, obviously when you're getting towards your time age and retired, mm. you've got a lot more free time and to actually go and see Films. My, my wife, uh, yeah, my mother-in-law, you know, is off done the cinema quite a lot, to be honest. Well, they've got silver screenings, which are specifically for, you know, OAPs. So it's that time of day where you can yeah. have a bit of peace and quiet, sit down and watch a, 
a film with, uh, like you say, like-minded age groups, really, rather than having stupid kids in there throwing popcorn around or making noise or whatever, you know. It's like, the damn kids, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, well, that's been going down, and got to watch some, some good films. So, why don't I start off with a... Um, Oscar nominated. I'm not sure if the film was nominated. I can't remember. Maybe it was just uh, the performance. Um, but over the weekend, I got to see um, the 2014 film Nightcrawler. Now, this is a film um, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, directed by Dan Gilroy, in his directorial debut. Um, also features Rene Russo, most prominently. Well, the Thomas um, Brown affair, Rene Russo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Phil Paxton, of, you know, a little aliens link there. Game over. And I think the UK's very own Riz Ahmed, who I last saw in Four Lions. The main dude out of Four Lions. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, you know, it's set in the present day in Los Angeles, um, the City of Angels. Um, let's have a look. What was it? Oh, Best Original Screenplay. It was nominated for. I'm sure. Um, uh, oh yeah. Well, Jake Gyllenhaal actually um, was nominated for a Golden Globe and a Screen Actors Guild for lead actor, basically. Um, I say, you know. Um, Best Original Screenplay, and I'm sure Rene Rousseau got an, a, um, a nomination somewhere along the line. Oh, the BAFTA, sorry, yeah. She was nominated there uh, for Best Actress, and Jake Gyllenhaal was nominated for Best Actor. So, you know, it's got some good crit- critical acclaim. Um, dedicated the box office, made its money back and then some. Pretty low-budget film, $8.5 million. Um, and I believe did the rounds at uh, festivals uh, this uh, well would have been last year now or the year before even so um, all that aside it basically tells the story of um, Jake Gyllenhaal's um, character his name is Lou Bloom or Louis Bloom Um, he is um, um, a very sort of you know no real backstory on the character um the first time you see him in the film, he's um, stealing some, <laughs> basically copper copper netting from a construction site. Um, and, you know, what happens in that scene sort of sets the scene for the whole film, but I won't, I won't spoil it. You know, he's a very um, sort of driven, very, like, focused character that is... Very like positive mental attitude. Watch too much Tony Robbins type stuff, um, and seemingly his very you know, like I say, tunnel vision, very focused on a certain aim of becoming successful. Um, uh, now through um, you know some of the uh, the encounters he has, and through his daily life, he's a bit of a down and out. He's a bit of a um, you know, uh, well, someone who's not really 
um, doesn't really care about committing crimes or going outside of the system if it gets him what he wants. You know, he's seems to live in some kind of modest apartment in a poor neighbourhood in LA. Is you know stealing stuff and committing crimes to get you know get what he wants. You know, you know white, very sort of low level thievery and pawning stuff. But through um, you know. Um, through one of his, um, you know, in the course of his day, he um, happens upon a um, a car crash, I think a fatal car crash, on one of the freeways or, you know, busy roads around LA. Um, pulls over and basically witnesses a, um, a news crew turning up at the scene, sort of at the same time as the police. Um, it's basically a freelance film crew. Um, that's where Bill Paxton's character comes in. He is sort of like one of these, um, you know, accident chasers that will get, you know, graphic, you know, footage and, and then will obviously sell it on to the highest bidder, um, at, you know, the local news stations in LA, basically, or even national. So he basically witnesses that and, you know, comes up with the idea to basically do that himself it seems pretty you know simple to do and it's just a case of um you know getting to the crime scene and getting a good good bit of footage and you can make you know, a lot of money from that so you know that's basically where his sort of path gets set and everything else that happens in the film is um you know influenced by that decision and his whole goal is to you know become the best in that department and get his own, you know, uh, news van and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And to get that footage, he obviously starts doing more, you know, more risk-taking. He's getting to the scene of the crime sometimes before the police because he's got a police scanner and all this kind of stuff. So he's sort of, in some ways, you know, he becomes complicit in some of the things that he's filming and you know, becomes witnesses or accomplice in in some ways. But, you know, it's um it's, you know, obviously making a statement about the um the state of the media. Because this is only really uh, you know, local T V stations in, in LA that uh this is affecting. Rene Russo plays the sort of um director of one of these local T V stations that's struggling a bit and they basically strike up a a relationship where he's exclusively selling them footage um, and they can't really turn it away because it's getting them amazing ratings but then it's, you know, blurring a lot of lines in terms of the ethics, ethical and moral sort of standpoint of the station to be showing all of these, like, car crashes and victims you know, a lot of the time he could be helping these people out of the car or trying to, you know, dialing 911 out of it, but instead he's obviously filming it because he knows this footage is going to be exclusive and it's going to make him money and get him to the next sort of rung of the ladder, so as it's, it were. So it's, it's predominantly commenting on the voyeuristic tendencies of the media to, mm. to, like you say, be complicit in the action. So, like, you watch a 24 24- our yeah. news channel, the Charlie Hebdo massacre and all that, the media were there yeah. with their cameras filming everything as it happens, but aren't resolving the issues, they're just reporting it. 
Yeah. And also, Which, in some you know, instances, are stoking the issue. You know, like, you know, some of the stuff reporting on it, they think they're reporting the facts. But what they're doing is in, in um, I don't know, like, like, like with terrorism and stuff like that, sometimes maybe reporting on certain things uh, are fueling the tensions. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like you say, the voyeuristic tendencies. And, you know, it is the the job of you know journalists and media to report the facts as you know as they see it but um it's just literally this this is about ratings it's about audience share and you know advertising revenue and but is it not also a comment on society in that that oh yeah he wouldn't be he's trying to get all the appetite of the Mm. the viewers basically he's saying well or, or, or what they're commenting on is saying that, well, we wouldn't provide this content should there not be a demand for it. So you're as complicit in this as the people that are showing you it. Definitely. I mean, in the day and age of, you know, everyone having a, a camera phone and, you know, dash cams and CCTV footage, you know, if you can get the exclusive on, you know, whatever it is going to be, like a meteor or some kind of car crash or a crime being committed, then that gets ratings. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a comment on society. Um, you know, uh, possibly more. This is, you know, just confined to Los Angeles. I guess you could apply this to a lot of different places in the world at the, at the moment. Um, if you can get the first scoop of, you know, an aircraft that's crashed or something being shot down or whatever, then, um, I know that that sort of industry is completely um, not really a meritocracy. <laughs> it's you know, it's just promotes that kind of ruthless behaviour. Yeah, but really. it's, it's disaster tourism, as they say. So it's basically yeah, going yeah. from one thing to another. And now, obviously, good news doesn't sell uh, people. It's it's just the way that society is that people are more interested in negatives than positives a negative news story will always do better than a positive news story because people don't want to hear how well things are going they want to hear how bad things are going don't they really it's kind of like just the way it is look at that um plane crash where was it in malaysia where the plane went over the freeway and it knit in the car and just you know that was the footage was on 24 hour repeat Mm. on every news channel for the duration of yeah. how lo- ever long they thought that it was newsworthy, but as soon as it's finished, it's on to the next one. Yeah, man. Well, it is, um, and also, I mean, there was, well, there was a, uh, a sort of an instance of this in real life where, um, you know, a certain, you know, I don't know if it was an anchor or whatever, was, you know, uh, sort of committing crimes to report on them to get you know, already call it an addiction, but just up in the ante every time, not having that sensational story every single night that that's going to draw people to your channel. So you, you know, you manufacture some situation, which happens in, you know, to, uh, in this film, you know, it's very, almost, you know, well, no spoilers, but very, very manipulative in always seeing the situation from the point of view of, what can I get out of this, basically? That kind of weird... I mean, I guess it's that um, uh, that attitude of, 
that came out sort of the you know the seventies and eighties, more the eighties of you know the dog eat dog, greed is good, you know, self, you know that all these sort of self help gurus came out of positive mental attitude, and he's always got the character, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character has always got some kind of you know uh, mantra or saying or you know tagline that he uses in a situation to you know spin it around and put a positive spin on it or something like that and you know he basically employs Riz Ahmed to be his driver because you know he gets to a point where he's driving navigating listening to the police scanner and sort of you know is his employee. He's a bit of a down and out. You know, Rizamed plays it really well. He's sort of like a bit of a seems like a bit of a stoner. Plays in a you know, an American an American uh, character. So his his accent is is pretty good actually, seeing as he you know, when you hear him in, in Four Lines he's got a you know, real proper um you know, well, East Midlands, I I don't know, I suppose it was. Well it's banded East Midlands to me. well actually more northern. You know, in Four Lines he's and he's, you know, obviously gone out to Hollywood and uh, uh, got cast in this. But yeah, he gives a really good performance and um, just thinking, good dynamic. But just thinking back to that um, that thing about the making of the story, is that not like, like, like that CBS guy who basically said he was in Afghanistan, was under fire in the air, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, and then basically just came out and went, yeah, I miss misrepresented the facts so basically he made it up <laughs> it didn't never happen because the guy who was flying the helicopter said yeah i was yeah. he was in my plane and we never sustained gunfire and you know <laughs> yeah i mean it is that whole like you say misrepresenting the facts you know the if you really gave people the truth would they really flock to your channel you've got to put a spin on it in some way um I mean, we had it. We had it in this country with Piers Morgan, and you know, all of that stuff that happened with the Daily Mirror. Um, they had to run away from, basically. So, yeah, it is a statement. It's a little bit different there. It's not really like you know a network or that kind of film where it's a national channel that's got a huge conspiracy or you know, is withholding stuff. It's more on a local level. But I suppose that's showing that even local TV stations in one city are completely cutthroat when it comes to, you know, ratings and stuff. And, you know, they live and die on these things. Is it a comment on the character as well? I mean, we... It, 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 oh, we, yeah, definitely. We've, we've uh, you know, dipped into about society and the news and the ills of <laughs> how things run. Uh-huh. But is it also a, a character expose and looking into this person and um, who who he is as, you know, does there background information about him and why he's, why he's like the way he is? Or is it just you're suddenly, boom, you're there. A bit like, you know, a bit like um, Drive where, you, you know, you don't know anything about this guy, but you get an underlying kind of... Mm impression that he is the way that he is because of something that's happened or is it just here's a character here's a story make of him what you will yeah i mean um there's not a lot of backstory he talks about his mother at at one point and i think he does have i mean he basically starts a you know a romantic not romantic sexual relationship with renee rousseau as well she's obviously yeah, well, you know, 20 years older than he is, probably more. So he might have some kind of, you know, 
mummy issues going on. Um, but, you know, there isn't a hell of a lot of backstory about the character. It's basically, you know, you sort of see the character evolve a little bit and become more and more, you know, ruthless. And he is, you know, a bit of a survivor in a lot of ways, I think. Um, and maybe they're saying that, you know, the society he's grown up in has sort of not forced him, but, you know, moulded him in a little bit, little bit, you know, sort of... Um, um, yeah, like I say, sort of moulded his actions, really, his his personality and his um, um, impulses. Um, I mean, they do. The T. I mean, it sort of it could be another statement on. Well, another thing they do with the TV stations is they say that they want the best ratings they get is when there is a violent crime that's happened in an affluent neighbourhood. So they're not interested in you know shootings, robberies, whatever, in poor neighbourhoods because that's that doesn't get, you know, obviously the predominantly white, you know, middle class people fearful and watching, basically. Mm. It's when, oh yeah, it's happened it could happen in your neighbourhood, in your, you know, million pound mansion with security and stuff. This could happen to you. Which, you know, fear, obviously another another tool that the media uses to you know, garner ratings and keep people watching that that channel. Um, so it's another sort of statement on, you know, you know, classism a little bit, I suppose. And you know, you only really, you know, it is the old old adage when you know there's a you know a a, a white sort of you know, if someone a young girl from a white middle class family goes missing, there's a huge manhunt. If it happens to a poor family in a dodgy neighbourhood of, you know, an ethnic minority, then it wouldn't get that much coverage in the media. You know, that's been proven time and time again, to be honest. I mean, we've had it in this country with a certain high-profile, you know, disappearance that's had a crazy amount of media coverage Mm. for years now. Whereas in that time, how many other kids have gone missing that haven't had that exposure? Um, in the media and, you know, the campaign and the, you know, um, charitable donations and the foundations that have been set up and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's the news angle, isn't it? It's the story. That's what they're after. I mean, like you say, there's millions of shootings every day. There's disappearances. (laughs) There's all kinds of things that happen. Don't make the news. It, It has to have an angle, basically something that will capture people and bring them in to watch their news channel because news at the end of the day is a ratings extravaganza like anything else isn't it it's like yeah what they're after is a story and it's like any drama that's on television if it hasn't got an encapsulating storyline or something plot that can drag people in and keep them watching then that's it basically it goes yeah man well you know, like I said, political statements aside and all that, it is a very, like, engrossing um, and um, sort of intense... You know, it is a thriller in some ways. Is it dark? In some ways. Yeah, yeah, it's very dark. I mean, it looks beautiful. I mean, they shoot L.A., you know, mostly at night, obviously, um, with all the you know amazing sort of vistas you get from up in the hills and all the lighting is really cool, like... 
stark street lights and you know you know it's got a very very nice aesthetic about it and you know very like calming soundtrack which sort of like suddenly will explode into something um so yeah i hardly recommend it you know i think it's probably yeah along with donnie darko the best thing i've seen jake gyllenhaal in you're saying prince of persia uh, is it <laughs> yeah, yeah i haven't got round to that yet oh what I haven't got around to watching that. His English yeah. accent is a delight. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, as soon as it get on the on the streaming sites or it'll look good on Blu ray, definitely will. Um you know, and if you're prepared to sit down and have something sort of uh you know, that's a bit ethically and morally questionable, then um yeah, give it a go. It's your kind of thing. Cool man. Yeah. Yeah, man. Thumbs so, up. Thumbs up. So, what have you been um, watching this week, man? Um, well, I actually have. I've been. There were. There were like the the first. Well, the one thing I'm going to talk about now is one that I have been meaning to watch for well since it was released last year. To be honest. Yeah. Um, went to see the first one in the cinema. It was a, a breath of fresh air in that genre. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm of course talking about Hunger Games. No, joking. Um, <laughs> the Raid Two uh, is the film I actually watched. The the original um, brought to us by writer, director, whatever you want to say, extraordinaire Gareth Evans, um, yeah. who went to my uni, and I think I've said that before. <laughs> uh, never met the guy. He was there at the same time as me, but maybe I don't know. He was off making films and stuff, mate. You were working your ass off. Well, yeah, you know, some of us have to get that two-two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, spend all that money and come out with fuck all. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. Um, no, I knew a few people in the film department, um, friends of friends and all that. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have known him anyway. But yeah, I mean, he brought brought the world the raid, which was in 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 its format is a very tried and tested thing, you know. 20 go in, what two come out is a classic mm-hmm. of anything, you know, westerns or um rare, like uh, heist movies or anything like that, you know. It's it's a tried and tested thing, but this was fresh and different. I mean, we we talked about how Judge Dredd, the latest version was kind of along those lines and that came out very in line and around the same time, you know, using the same sort of format going into a building where there's you know, you've got to fight off the hordes uh, and ultimately you've got a protagonist who you're rooting for to get to his main goal, which is, you know, the crime boss or something like that. That was in, in, in a set, rigid format, but with things around it which made it exciting. So the action, the thriller, the crime element to it as well. Whereas The Raid 2 was not what I was expecting at all. I mean, although using the same characters and the same kind of action crime thriller format, the actual plot and the way it's structured is very, very different. Um, A very enjoyable film, but at the same time also very fucking violent. I don't (laughs) think I've watched... I mean, there were moments where I couldn't actually watch it. You know, it's (laughs) like... For for an 18 film, I mean, with all the the things that are brought into um, films these days with CGI and all that, some of the kind of 
close combat action sequences where you actually see the fighting and the things that they're doing to people. It's mm. absolutely ridiculous. I mean, not to say that the actors who are involved are superb. So, uh, Iku, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Uwais, who plays Ramo, who's the main kind of protagonist, his like hand speed is amazing. Like some of the like action sequences that he's doing, obviously it's kind of like, you know, um, Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan style. It's all set up, you know, it's yeah. choreography and stuff like that. But it's it's believable. That's the thing. I mean, if you're looking for close combat hand, you know, hand and feet kind of kung fu. Well, it's not kung fu, is it? But you know what I mean. Kind of like the mm. the elements of uh, close combat. It's the camera work to capture that, and the kind of the intimacy of the some of the fight scenes is just ridiculous. I mean, there's a, a bit too much of where it's one against 20. I mean, yeah, fine. I understand that he's fucking amazing, but there's there's one scene where there's one-on-one, you know, like where it's him and the henchman kind of thing at, towards the end. Mm. Whereas the rest of the film is very much like, although there are scenes where it isn't the main protagonist fighting against many, there are other scenes where there are other people involved in the story fighting other people. It's still that element of one person fighting 20 men. So you've got 20 extras basically running towards one person. They just kick the shit into them. <laughs> so there's only so many you can do of that. It's like 300, you know what I mean? There's only so many yeah. battle scenes that you can see of where there's 20 of them and a thousand of people, like the invading hordes running towards them. <laughs> but they'll size them down and fucking, you know, they'll still be standing at the end. Yeah. You get fed up of that in the end, and it's just a bit too overused. But you'll forgive it for the rest of the story and the plot. I mean, basically, where it starts is where it ended. So it's not a completely separate story. It's basically a continuation of where the main person is going. So it's kind of saying, right, okay, you left him here. We're going to pick it up exactly where you left it rather than mm. skip two, three years down the line, as is done in most movies. And it's like, well, this is where they are now. I mean, look at, like, Lethal Weapon, for instance. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> these guys have gone on about their... The continuity. Exactly. This has got kind of like, <laughs> well, to be fair, if you picked it up as a separate film, you could still watch it. Yeah. If you're a fan of the first film, you're now following this person's story... And where he you left off, you're continue. Yeah, there's a continuation. Kind of the plot drives forward and says, "Well, remember that guy who was the star of the last film? This is where we believe his life went after that that moment." Mm. And it's really interesting. I mean, basically, after the first film, spoilers, he fought mm-hmm. his way out uh, with another police officer, uh, and his brother was the kingpin at that then mm. time of that building he took over and then he was and then you kind of leave him as he's leaving the building and and that's it it ends well this picks up basically he's been picked up by the special squadron saying like you know we need we could use a man like you we we want you to be a bit like um oh there's another there's a korean film i think it's korean film um where like it's like the insider it's a bit like um the departed Right, okay. Well, I think it's where The Departed was copied from, to be honest. But basically, 
Yeah, I've heard of that. The police officer is undercover with the the crime boss, but there's also a police officer who's fighting the crime, you know, Mm. uh, and he doesn't know that he's undercover. Yeah, so he has to sort of like act like a criminal as much as he can. Yeah, right? so I mean, basically, he 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 goes home and says no to this squad. I don't want to be involved in it. I, I want to go back to my family and all that. But then he finds out that his brother, who you find at the beginning of the film, was killed by crime bosses. Right. So he was like killed, uh, buried in a ditch, basically in the middle of nowhere. So basically, he goes back to him and goes, "Yeah, okay, I'll do it." Uh, but what it means is it's deep cover, and the only way to go into cover is he has to basically go and beat up a politician's mm-hmm. son mm. that will get him put away. And it's because it, it's basically garnering the 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 respect or acknowledging yeah. to this crime boss that this guy's beating up someone who they're they're against because yeah. he did it. Rather than going away for twelve months, he's put away for three years. <laughs> the corruption of the political system basically the politician went no this person has to pay and then they put him away but obviously his whole thing is that um, the main crime boss um, Bangun his son Uko is in prison so he's there to kind of get in with him while he's in prison yeah and I think that's where uh, you saw up to isn't it when you watched it first time is, is the bit where he's in the toilet block and basically you can hear rumbling and there's loads of flashback scenes so happened mm. with that special squadron and his wife and all that kind of thing. And then it basically flicks to it and the door's shuddering and then the hinge comes off and he kicks the door open and there's like 30 men mm. there. Yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, as like I say, I've probably seen about half of it. So, um, like I saying, it is, um, it does like literally carry on straight from the end of the other film. Um, but like I say, they're just... Um, it looks like they've, you know, same um, sort of feel about the film, but they've expanded the storyline hugely. Well, you, yeah, I mean, basically, you're in a, from the scope. Yeah, you're in a, skip, a, a cityscape, so you, it's expanded the. I mean, it's very well done because to go from a film which was so insular and just concentrated in one building, you hardly see anything other than the mm. internal workings of this building, this, you know, like, kind of block something or other, you know, where all these... It's like a basically a castle. Yeah. He's stuck in the castle, and it, instead of trying to get in, he's trying to get out. <laughs> uh, but with this, it's more of a, a kind of um, an undercover sting operation that goes wrong, basically, where, like... There's so much corruption in the police force that the criminals in, you know, there's the can't see where the line starts and finishes. It's all blurred. Mm. So, the, you know, he's he's put in, but it's that usual typical thing of whereas like once you're in, it's difficult to get out because the people that want you in there are never really going to ever let you leave. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of blurring the lines again, isn't it? Between, you know, the cops and the robbers, as it were. Yeah, and I mean, you've got this element of kind of, there's the Indonesian crime bosses, but you've also got the Japanese infiltrating as well, so you've got the, the Yakuza and people like that, but it's like, it's that whole, uh, a bit like, um, you know, Clint Eastwood in a lot of his films, where they kind of, in Django, the original Django as well, where it like plays off one side against the other. Yeah, so there's a double-double cross. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. So you've got the crime element, you've got the 
the whole young upstart. So like you've got um, Yuko, the son, is kind of that whole tempered young upstart son who feels that he should be taking over. Yeah, when he's you know patently not ready to usually, that's usually the thing. Yeah, and it's basically the the father who's the crime boss who's like saying slowly, slowly, catchy monkey kind of thing. It's like you're not ready, <laughs> you're not ready to take over the business, but because he's yeah. been approached by somebody else from another you know another crime boss, basically it's like do this, this, and this, and we'll create a war between the two families. And make mm. it look as if one side there'll be a massive fight, and then basically you we, there'll be like a power struggle, and they'll take over. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's really intriguing. But you've got all that. You've got you know, like I say, the the kind of the police, the infiltration, the undercover. You've got the young mm. upstart. You've got one side against the other. So it's really, 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 really well done, to be honest. And shot amazingly. And you get you know, if you're into an action film. It's really one to to watch. There's so many different mm. fight scenes to watch. It's just some of them can be a bit harrowing uh, in that you know they're, they're very graphic in their nature. But again, because of the nature, it's it's not a you know an old style kung fu movie. It, this is <laughs> a, a modern day you know no, uh, no, action yeah. film, and and the extreme Asia cinema is kind of rooted in that gore and horrific kind of I don't know elements basically but I can't remember you were trying to remember what the name of the, the actual martial art is but it's very different I reckon it's like Pensac Silla or something it's something like that because I mean the nature of that that, that martial art is, is it's a mishmash of many different elements Mm. So it's kickboxing, you know, you've got Thai boxing in there, you've got Kung Fu, you've got just hand-to-hand boxing, just normal boxing and stuff like that. And there's all different elements to it, really, that make it uh, something that's more of a... Whereas, like, Jiu-Jitsu and Kung Fu is more of a kind of a protection, isn't it? It's more Mm. defence, whereas this is one that's definitely attack. Well, I think, yeah, yeah it's more... Um, traditional, traditional martial arts, arts seem to be more, more standoffish. Yeah. Where, you know, you're there in a stance where this is just, you know, people just run at you and try and kill you. And you've got to use every, like, bit of the body and everything around you in the environment to sort of um, take on multiple opponents. That's- and, I mean, just to say, the first film, obviously, it was graphic, but, yeah, this film is literally, you know, horror level, you know, saw level <laughs> effects in some in some ways. Oh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's scenes where people lose faces and heads and arms yeah. and legs, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty That's intense. a bit crazy. Yeah. But, no, I mean... It's, it's it's we discussed before coming on air. It's a long ass film, so you're looking at kind of two and a half hours. But again, running time wise, you'd forgive it for all of what's packed into it. To be honest, I enjoyed mm. it. Don't get me wrong, but like I say, at times, I mean, I'm not one for horror. I'm a bit squeamish, um, <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it to the light-hearted. But I would recommend mm. it to people who who you know are looking for a, a full-on action film. To be honest. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and it is the you know the raid films run like anything else you'll see at the moment. Say so it is a bit of you know, it's sort of a throwback. I mean, the storylines are a throwback to you know 
traditional, you know, 90s Asian cinema, the John Woo's and all that, but the action is a lot different because it's not the normal scripted Hong Kong fight scenes and there's not really... There's a bit of gunplay in it, I mean, but it's mostly, like I said, this um, specific martial art that, you know, they've obviously, you know, adapted it for the... um, um, for the for the screen, like you do with any sort of martial art, I suppose. But um, yeah, they're a lot different to anything else you'd see, and they're still a little bit under the radar, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, you're not you're not going to um, you're not going to be going into it expecting some sort of like Operation Condor or something like that. You know, you're not mm-hmm. going to get a Jackie Chan movie where it's lots of singing and dancing. You know what I mean? Like Jackie Chan mm-hmm. movies were. It's more of the uh, choreography and him jumping through things and jumping off things and, you know, yeah. using like a chair or something, you know, like the master or something. Whereas mm. this is more like you say, I mean, it's full on fucking fighting, basically. <laughs> on back styling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On back is probably like the one of the closest things you can, um, you know, compare it to really in that same style. Styly. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean that's basically out. It's been out for a while now, hasn't it? I think it's on um, one of the Netflixes. Yeah, it's on the UK Netflix. Netflix. Oh, there you go then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came. When did it come out? Yeah, it was 2014. So I'm just trying to see when exactly, okay. but it was last year. I think it was early last year, though. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, man. Cool. Um, we're coming, we're nearly coming to the end, but just want to chat about something quickly. There's a um, the documentary that won best documentary at the Oscars this year. I'm not sure if it did win any other awards. Um, if it was actually there for anything, let me just check. Uh, a lot of independent stuff. Uh, BAFTA Spirit Awards. It won. Uh, Directors Guild Awards, so, you know, pretty good. Um, The documentary is called Citizen 4. It's basically um, a documentary about Edward Snowden of NSA leaks fame. Um, Obviously had to hightail it out of the US to Hong Kong and then Russia to stop himself being arrested for, you know, leaking classified information. NSA spying and all that stuff. Um, it's a documentary that's made by Laura, is it Potras, um, who did, uh, let's have a look what she did. She's done a, a fair few of the documentaries about the you know, same type of subjects. So she had My Country, My Country, The Oath, Citizen Four, Flag Wars. You know, um, I think she's pretty well known in the documentary world, uh, you know, independent documentary world, and, you know, was contacted by Edward Snowden before he leaked everything. Um, you know, he. Yeah, well, she already was by the time <laughs> he. Um, I think she's actually. She's not American. She is from. I think Finland, is it? Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, she lives in Berlin. Um, uh, she's oh, actually, she was actually born in America, 
Alright, it's nice thinking she was foreign. But no, she just has to live in Berlin, I think. Because, uh, yeah, she is basically on an no-fly list and stuff. Um, but yeah, it tells the story of, you know, those basically a week or two weeks that, Edwin, that you know, Snowden contacted uh, this filmmaker. They, you know, um, had some correspondence and uh, sort of became... She became aware that he was, you know, willing to leak something that would be huge. So um, she, I don't know if she contacted Glenn Greenwald or he did. Um, yeah, obviously Glenn Greenwald being, you know, pretty well known to be honest. He's done a lot of, um, you know, work for yeah, the Guardian and Salon dot com about, you know, mostly about. I think state state power and um how the obviously the US government under Bush and Obama has um you know just reached its tentacles into civil liberties and um you know the rights of American citizens really um so him they basically agreed to to meet in in Hong Kong um at a certain hotel and the documentary sort of unfolds there they they basically filmed Snowden over the period of about a week and obviously they're interviewing him he's telling them about all the documents that he's leaked to them they're going through the documents and trying to understand what it all is and obviously you know we all saw in the media what that that actually was um, and the scope of it and everything so you know it's all about sort of the inside story of what actually happened at that period, to the people that were involved, I mean Julian Assange is in it for a for you know a couple of scenes as well because he's helping um, Edward Snowden get legal assistance and you know UN sort of assistance and stuff like that. But um, uh, yeah, so one best best uh, documentary. It's on if you're in the UK, you can probably still watch it on 4OD. So it's actually on Channel Four last week, I think. Okay. So you can watch it free basically. Yeah. And it's literally—I mean, it didn't had, didn't really come out that long ago, October last year. So, um, New York Film Festival. But um, you know, obviously, it's very interesting to see, um, you know, Edward Snowden in just day-to-day life, and you know, he goes into a lot of why he was motivated to do this, and you know, you get to see his character a little bit more. Um, you know, and it is sort of a timely reminder of exactly what was revealed at the time, which is a bit crazy. I mean, as somebody who works in IT, for the, you know, the NSA to basically collect metadata on every single, like, email, phone call, web session, you know, browsing, which is literally you get, you know, you can get people's names, phone number, uh, you know, credit card, all this kind of stuff. Um, and to you know, sort of understand a little bit more the um, you know mechanisms and stuff behind that is you know still it's sort of I don't know if it's been forgotten but you know news stuff moves on so quickly nowadays that it's just like well you can't I don't think you should, we should be taking this stuff for granted they're still doing it yeah. <laughs> you know it hasn't stopped <laughs> there was, I don't think there's anything that could be done to dismantle this and. Basically, GCHQ are probably the worst people for it. 
they actually do the same, but they collect content as well. So they like like they will literally record your telephone call or literally get the content of the email you've sent, not just your email address and the person you're sending it to. You know, they re- they connect straight in to the fiber pipes that come from you know, America. They've got a they show they've got a facility in Bude basically that taps straight into the you know undersea um, fiber optics that come from America or you know South America, Asia, wherever really. <laughs> but yeah, really really interesting. Um, so if you're into you know not really conspiracies, if you're into your documentaries and you know and you're interested in the Edward Snowden story at the time then uh, this will be just like fleshes it out a little bit I suppose so yeah Citizen 4 go and have a look Diplomatic Immunity oh yeah just been revoked yeah man well there's anything you want to uh, chat about Guesty anything else Uh, no I mean the second film yeah. What was uh, the new version of Total Recall? I mean, there's oh yeah, yeah. There's no point doing a review of it because anyone <laughs> who's seen it um, will tell you that yeah, there's not much point doing a review <laughs> no. of it. I mean, it, like I said to you before we came on, it just takes kind of the it picks elements out of the original because it's it's a reimagining. It's not a remake. It picks mm. out little scenes or little things, elements that you'll remember from the original yeah. and drops it in the film out of context. Right, okay. So, like, there's a... You know the bit where they ask the woman to, how, long are you, how long are you staying on Mars? And it goes, two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. Well, that, that happens, and they zoom, zoom in on this, like, larger-than-life woman, a bit plumper, you know, kind of thing. And they say, how long are you staying? Two weeks. But actually, it's not him in a woman's body, he's actually, like, with different face on, but a man. <laughs> but they do the line with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't heard great things about it. And it's sort of the same thing they did with Terminator Salvation, putting these little, you know, homages to the stuff that you knew from, you know, the original films. And it's just a little... It's, it's a little bit... Douche, it's the same douchey. sort of thing with the kind of the um, alliance and the you know Cohagen is played by fucking uh, what's his face um, mm. oh his name escapes me you know fucking Breaking Bad um, what Brian Cranston yeah Brian Cranston yeah <laughs> so you know and you've I don't know yeah I'm not a fan of Farrell anyway but. Nah, but yeah, I'm not going to go into too much depth. But yeah, it, 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 I watched it, gave it, a, gave it a, a go, and it's you know, it's got a lot of action elements in it. Don't get me wrong, there's some good scenes in there action-wise, but it just yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a bit disassociated, and yeah, there's too much and not enough. If you know what I mean, there's a lot of kind of nods and winks, but not enough. Yeah, it's one of those weird ones we thought. Why are they making this? Is it a licensing thing where they need to um, use the license or lose it? One of those, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not interested. <laughs> no, 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 mine now. I've watched it. <laughs> Done. Cool. Cool. Well, 
It's going to give out, you know, pimp up our social media and all that shizzle. We do have a Facebook site, which is facebook.com forward slash last picture show. Um, go there to get the uh, episode download links and uh, learn a bit more about what we do. And, you know, interface with us, get in touch, um, like the page, share it with your friends, all that good stuff. Uh, we do have a Twitter as well. Twitter, don't we, Guesty? Yeah, we do indeed. Shoiter. Yeah, you go to at last underscore picture, that wonderful oh. underscore in the middle. Uh, it'll do me out some point when I think about that. But yeah, if you go to last underscore picture, um, mm-hmm. you can see our wonderful Twitter feed. There's loads of great news articles I've posted recently. There's also the episode you can click on there and it'll take you to SoundCloud and you can listen to our wonderful dulcet tones talk about films. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was just looking and actually the last time I updated it was stuff about Fifty Shades and uh, something about the Alien film. So, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but, you know, if you go there, I'll probably be putting more stuff up as and when. Um, but, yeah, it's for more different news, like uh, outlets such as io9, Flickr and Myth, Geek Tyrant, all the usual kind of really good places where you get news. So we'll retweet anything that we think that you might like. We also put that on our own Twitter feeds. Mine is at I am Guesty, and yours is oh, man. mine's at full underscore duplex. Yeah, so like Guesty says, check out our shizzle, um, and um, you know, tell us what you think. Get in touch. Anything you want us to cover or get our opinion on. Um, and we shall have a look and see what we can do. But, um, yeah, we've enjoyed having you this week um, on the Last Picture Podcast. This is Rob signing off. And Guesty saying I've got total recoil. Aha, from that film. Yeah, man. That's a great pun. Right. We shall see you next week on the Last Picture Podcast, all right? Adios. Woo! Woo.